Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Ruth, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about you what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. 
Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girl of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, good morning. Do keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, If you're a scribbler, there's a bit of space on the back of the um, handout you were given on the way in. There are some headings on there, if that'll be a help to you. Um, Just a question as we begin. Uh, If you were asked to describe God, to describe God's character, I wonder what words you would use if you were asked to describe God's character. Uh, Let me pray, and we'll dive into Ruth 2 together. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we pray that as we come to your word this morning and to this lovely story from Ruth 2, this true story, that you might help us to understand it, to believe it, and to change because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Now, I'd like to begin this morning with a picture. Um, I'm hoping that uh, we might be able to get it up on the screen Uh, There we are. Now, uh, can anyone tell me who this is? Um, Go on, that's not a rhetorical question. Anyone tell me who this is? Just shout out. Mr. Darcy, wonderful. Uh, If you're here and you don't know who this is, just ask one of the women in the congregation later, and they'll tell you all about him. Um, uh, Mr. Darcy, uh, here in the classic BBC adaptation, played by Colin Firth of... um, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, and um, I don't know if you're a lover of period dramas or of um, Victorian novels for that matter, but um, let let me break it down for you very simply. Um, uh, Mr. Darcy is is probably the main character of the story, and he's basically someone who turns out to be a lot nicer than he seems at first. Uh, Elizabeth thinks he's unkind, aloof, and proud, and realises that there's much more to him by the end of the story. And there you go, that's all you, need. that's all you need to know. You can now survive a dinner party conversation all about Pride and Prejudice without having to invest however many hours it is to watch this um, version of it. Um, but um, the reason I mention it is because it's an easy thing to do, isn't it? It's easy to, to capture an idea of someone in our mind, and then once it's there, once it's stuck, it's hard to shift that impression Uh, It's something we probably all do much more than we'd care to admit. Uh, We fix an idea of someone in our minds. Maybe they make a first impression on us. And then it's um, it's very hard to, um, to change that view of them. And it's something that we can do with God as well. Uh, It may be that um, uh, we've got an impression of God from school assemblies back when we were small, um, from the media or some bad experience of church or something like that. And that impression of God, it sticks in our minds. Maybe we have an impression of God as a sort of um, spiritual scrooge, a God who's cold and, and hard and demanding. And it's something that's stuck with us for our whole life. Now, often those impressions are formed, for example, by um, people in the media who don't know God for themselves. And yet, when it's stuck, it's very hard to shift. Uh, Unless we think that that's just something that applies to people um, outside of the church, it's something Christians can easily find as well. Uh, Perhaps there are some circumstances in my life 
And because of the way things are going, well, I have an impression of what God is like, and, and it's hard to shake. Maybe I've never thought about it at all. Uh, I think of um, uh, maybe the Christian who longs to get married, and yet nothing seems to be on the cards for year after year, and just begins to think, well, maybe God is um, not for me. Maybe God is against me. Um, maybe um, in your family there's been some kind of illness and it's just dragged on for year upon year and it just seems to suck the life out of your whole family. And we just begin to get an impression of God in our minds that he's something of a spiritual scrooge. He's not for me. I've prayed and prayed and yet nothing's changed. Of course, this is um, a problem for us because if we start to think that God is a sort of um, a miser in the sky, a sort of spiritual scrooge, well, we'll become like that as well. Um, We'll become bitter and cold. Uh, Perhaps we'll believe that God's word is true, but we'll doubt whether it's actually good for us, whether it'll lead us to flourish. Uh, We'll begin to think that God wants to suck the joy out of life and make everything dull and grey. And if we have that sort of impression of God in our minds and it's stuck, well, I I hope that we'll find in Ruth 2 something that changes our view. And however we think of God this morning, whatever words you would have used to describe him, we need to meet the real God, the God who is there, the God of Ruth 2. And of course, as we dive into this passage, we're going to see that he's not a sort of spiritual Scrooge or miser, that he's a God who is generous, a God who's kind and good, a God who overflows with love for the lowly and the struggling and the weak. Uh, Let me just catch you up on the story so far. Um, Naomi and her family, at the beginning of um, Ruth chapter 1, move away from home to Moab. um, And once they're there, tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband dies, and she's left grieving. Uh, Her sons marry local girls in Moab, but then her sons both die as well. And at the end of... um, Ruth chapter 1, Naomi returns to her homeland, to Bethlehem in Judah, with one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth. But she goes back bereaved, impoverished, empty. Uh, If you'll look back just to the top of page 268, in verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? which means pleasant. The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune upon me. But here, as we start Ruth chapter 2, we're going to see the dawning of hope for Naomi and for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And we're going to see that the God who brought them back is a God who will bless them, a good and a generous God. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at each of three human characters who feature in the story of Ruth 2. You might have heard as it was read, um, there's um, there's Boaz, uh, there's Ruth, and there's Naomi. But as we look at each of these characters, the central figure of the story will be the one in the background, at work by his hidden hand, the Lord. And so as we look at each of these characters, we're going to be asking, what do they teach us about the character of the God of the Bible, the God who is there. 
And so let's tuck in then with um, Boaz. And I've called Boaz a righteous man who overflows with God's kindness. Uh, We're introduced to him in verse 1. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1 with me again. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Uh, So here is a man who is um, wealthy and well-respected, a man of standing, and he's a relative. Uh, In a culture where family matters, uh, this means that there's hope right at the beginning of this story. Before Ruth and Naomi even meet him, the narrator wants us to know that this is a story of hope. It's about a relative, a rich relative at that, a glimmer of hope. And it's not long before Boaz um, arrives on stage. Um, But the writer wants us to know that it is God who brings about the meeting with Boaz. Have a look at the end of verse 3 with me for a moment. Uh, Verse 3, so Ruth went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. So here is Ruth. She's gone out into the field um, to pluck the corn around the edges and um, to... um, to just try and make ends meet, really. Now, verse 3, as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. And don't forget, he's a relative from the clan of Elimelech, her father-in-law. Verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Um, the, the writer, he's, he's laying it on with a ladle here, really. He, he wants us to be sure that um, all of these chance happenings add up to more than they seem. As it turned out, just then, Boaz was there. And from the word go, we're told that Boaz is a godly man. Verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. Now, um, one of the joys of having a toddler that I'm discovering is that you get to watch the same sort of four children's films over and over again ad nauseum. And, um, well, at least I'm sick of them, even if he isn't. But um, uh, one of the lovely things with children's films is that when a character arrives on scene, you can instantly tell if they're a good guy or a bad guy. You know, the bad guys are dressed all in black and have names like Scar or something like that. You know, the good guys, well, they're in light colours, and they're sort of walking a granny across the road in the first scene that you meet them. And, um, and the story's told a bit like that in Ruth chapter 2, because Boaz arrives, and the first thing he says, the Lord be with you. It's a blessing. And um, being good Anglicans, his workers reply, and also with, no, I mean, the Lord bless you. Um, Here is a man um, who's full of um, of godliness and commitment to the Lord. Um, There's no sacred-secular divide in his mind, is there? Here is a man who um, takes the language of church and of his relationship with God and is using it all through the week. Here he is in the field saying, the Lord be with you. Uh, Here's a man who sees that the whole of life is worship to the Lord and not just what he does on Sundays. And I guess it raises a question for me, do we see our lives in those sorts of terms? That's how the Bible describes them. And here is a godly man at work and speaking of the Lord, taking him on his lips. Uh, We see that he's a righteous man, and he asks, um, 
who is this, uh, whose young woman is that in verse 5? Uh, it's not so much a question about who owns her, but what family does she belong to? Does she have anyone to look after her, to provide for her? And um, you can hear the tone of the foreman's reply. Verse 6, the foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. Um, Now look, um, God's law had said in Deuteronomy 24 that the people of Israel were to leave the grain around the edge of their fields. Um, They weren't to go all the way to the edges, but they were to leave some so that poor people and widows and foreigners who had nothing would have something to eat. But you can hear the tone of the foreman here, can't you? Um, She's a Moabitess from Moab. You know, here's the, um, the gleaning law, which is effectively kind of um, welfare in the ancient world. And the foreman says, look, she's just an immigrant here for welfare. You know, um, the law says that you should look out for her, but surely there should be some kind of exception for a Moabitess. I mean, they're the enemies of our people. I mean, it's easy to know that among God's people, we should welcome all sorts of people, isn't it? And yet easy also in practice to have those people who we wouldn't welcome, who we couldn't welcome. And here he is, the foreman. She's just an immigrant on the scrounge. But, but Boaz, well, he's a righteous man. He's serious about the law. And more than that, he's full of warmth and tenderness towards her. Verse 6, the foreman replied, um, sorry, um, uh, Boaz replies in verse 8, my daughter... Listen to me. You know, it's a a phrase of warmth and tenderness. And daughter, uh, come here. He provides for her. Verse 8, don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. You know, he looks out for her. At the end of verse 9, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. You know, um, here's the cooler. Help yourself. He protects her. Verse 9, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the girls. I've told the men not to touch ye. Um, Paul Williams put this um, beautifully when we were talking about it the other day. He said, um, I can sort of picture Boaz saying to the young men, look, if any of you lay a finger on her, I will punch you. And um, I can tell you when Paul says that, it's terrifying. Um, But here is Boaz And not only does he provide for her, but he protects her. And it's a serious issue. It's one that Naomi comes back to at the end of the story. Lest we forget, these are the days when the judges ruled, we were were hearing at the beginning of Ruth chapter 1. These aren't days of godliness and goodness. They're days of danger. Days when a young man could could do anything to a young woman. Um, Days of, um, of fear and risk. And here is a godly man providing and protecting for this young immigrant woman. He owes her nothing, and yet he's full of warmth and compassion. And Ruth is staggered, isn't she? Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Come back, we'll come back to um, Boaz's reply in verses 11 and 12. Um, but I just, just notice 
in the way that Boaz is presented, the beauty of godliness. We live in a culture where that word is not a popular one. Uh, I was reading a book recently um, that began by saying um, that the author felt it was a brave task to talk about godliness because in our culture, godliness is too often interpreted to mean being rigid and cold and overly concerned with other people's business. And that's often um, what we think of when we hear that word, isn't it? But here in Boaz, we see that godliness is a beautiful thing. He's a man who is serious about obeying the law of the Lord. And what that means is that he overflows with kindness and compassion. That, of course, obedience to God's word is beautiful because God is beautiful and kind and loving. And we see it all the more in verses 14 to 16, don't we? Look at how extravagant Boaz's kindness is. At mealtime, verse 14, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. I mean, it's it's almost comical, isn't it? Don't just leave the, um, the bit of grain around the edge. Let her help herself to the main harvest. And while you're at it, could you pick some and give it to her? You know, it's totally over the top, isn't it? It's extravagant. It's overflowing with goodness. Here is the beauty of godliness in the man Boaz. Look, I I know in the Hollywood version of the book of Ruth, it's a story about the beautiful young woman in the field. But the beauty in Ruth chapter 2 isn't the young woman, it's the old man who is full of compassion and kindness towards this undeserving immigrant. And this is what obedience to God, to his word, looks like. And of course, um, as we see this righteous man, this man who obeys the law of God and is overflowing with goodness, well, he points us forward. As Christian readers, we can't help but look forward to Boaz's, Boaz's descendant, the one who would come after him, the one that the end of the story is pointing us forward to, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the one truly righteous man, the one whose obedience to God and love for his neighbor wasn't expressed just one summer in a field towards one family, but the whole of his life and towards the whole of humanity. I wonder when was the last time that you read one of the Gospels in the New Testament? Um, I'm always asking people that because I find that often people have never read one as an adult from start to finish. And yet when you do, I mean, I remember the first time I read Mark's Gospel, I was blown away by the love and compassion and generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ who I met there. He was one who fed 5,000 families on a hillside until they were full, just as Ruth was here, in compassion for them. And not just 5,000 Israelite families, but just a little bit later, 4,000 Gentile ones, utterly undeserving, and yet he was full of goodness towards them. He was one who healed the sick, who cared for the poor, who offered forgiveness to people, and one who laid down his own life to protect his people. 
Protect us from the judgment of God. Protect us from Satan. Protect us from our own unbelief. A righteous man. And in Ruth 2, we see God's kindness at work through a godly man who points us forward to the godly man where we see God's kindness in its fullness. Uh, Ruth and Naomi experience God's loving kindness in the flesh through Boaz. But, but look, before we move on to Ruth, let me just say as well that I think while, while this passage turns us to see the beauty of godliness in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also worth reflecting on the beauty of godliness in those who trust the Lord Jesus Christ, in those who are part of his body here on earth. Is it not a beautiful thing when people obey God in his word when they trust Jesus and live that out in love and compassion towards one another, towards the undeserving. Uh, a few years ago, uh, we were, um, I was training to be a vicar, so as you can imagine, we were completely broke. And um, our car, I think it'd be fair to say it failed its MOT truly spectacularly, in that when the guy phoned up, he said, uh, I said, oh, has it passed? And he said, well, it could catch fire at any time. So I'm going to have to fail it. And, um, uh, and we basically had no money and no car, but needed to get around living in London. Um, another family from church, not that much older than us and not that much better off than us, to be honest, um, gave us an old car that they had. Uh, now, where would you see that in the world? A family just, um, just giving a car. Um, technically, they sold it to us for a pound, but there was actually there was a two-pound coin on the dashboard that they'd forgotten about. So um, there you go. They gave us a car and a pound. But where, where would you see that kind of kindness? And is it not a beautiful thing when the people of Christ imitate their loving master in obedience to God and love the undeserving and care for one another and welcome people and go the extra mile and love their neighbor here is Boaz a righteous man who overflows with God's kindness Uh, second we see Ruth a foreign woman who trusts God's promises and um, we're reminded again and again that Ruth is a foreigner so um, verse 2 Ruth the Moabitess and the words of the foreman in verse 6, she's a Moabitess from Moab. Her words in verse 10, she's a foreigner. And then again in verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess. And so the question is, what is Ruth, this foreign woman, doing here in the land of Israel? And we saw something of the answer in Ruth 1, but it's repeated for us here in Ruth 2. Uh, actually, there's a hint in verse 2 of our passage Ruth, the Moabites, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, of course, as we said, Deuteronomy 24 said that in the promised land, there would be those who left grain around the edge of the field for the widow, the poor, the foreigner. And here is Ruth taking God at his word, trusting that even in the days when the judges ruled, that if she went out into the field, she would find, as God had promised, that there was something there for her as a widow and a foreigner. Now, maybe that would have looked naive to the people around her. But, of course, we see in the story how right she was to trust in God's promises. 
And we see it writ large in the conversation that she has with Boaz. So Boaz provides for her, and verse 10, she bows down on her face. She exclaims, why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Boaz has heard about what Ruth did, and what she did was come to God for refuge. Uh, The way that Boaz describes her in verse 11, um, it reminds us of another great Old Testament character, who left his father and mother and his homeland and came to the land of God's promise. It reminds us of Abraham, the great man of faith in the Old Testament. And so here is Ruth, this this woman who deserves nothing from God, a foreigner and a stranger to the promises of God, a Moabite, who hears God's promise and believes it and goes to him for refuge. Uh, That's what so impresses Boaz. And it's to impress us too, because she was right to, wasn't she? When she went to the land, she found that the promises of God to her were kept through the righteous man, the redeemer that God had provided. Now, here's a question for you. Um, If a non-Christian friend asked you, what is faith? I wonder what you would say. It's the sort of thing that comes up in conversation, doesn't it? People say, I wish I had your faith. Or maybe they say, I'm not the sort of person who has faith. Uh, We talk of a leap of faith or people of faith. But here we see what faith is. Trusting God's promises. Taking him at his word. And Ruth 2 shows us again that God is a God that we can trust. A God who keeps his promises, who overflows with kindness through his redeemer. Now that might seem naive to some. Uh, Perhaps as Ruth left for the promised land it seemed naive. It might seem um, a, a weird thing, a hard thing to have to leave things behind to trust God. And yet Ruth too shows us that he's worthy of that trust. Here is a woman who deserves nothing from God, but comes to him for refuge and finds his kindness. And I wonder what we make of God's promises and his word. Will we trust them as Ruth did? Can I ask you, um, do you have faith? Are you a person of faith? And again, I don't mean a sort of special spiritual quality that some people have and other people don't. What I mean is, Do you trust God's promises? Have you taken him at his word? If you find that faith is something that you struggle with, well, the best thing you can possibly do is go back to the Bible and read stories like Ruth, true accounts of God's faithfulness, his trustworthiness. Read a gospel. Uh, Ruth, too, is a great faith builder for us because it shows us that God is not a spiritual miser or Scrooge in the sky, but one who keeps his promises. 
one we can go to for refuge. But then finally, very briefly, Naomi. And I've called Naomi a changed woman who sees God's faithfulness. Now, we left Naomi at the end of chapter 1 in the depths of despair. Chapter 1, verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And I think at the start of this story, um, we see um, something of that in the way that Naomi is totally passive as the story begins. Um, A question I was asked this week, why doesn't Naomi say something about the existence of Boaz at the start of the story? She's got this rich relative, why doesn't she mention it? But I take it it's because here we have a woman in despair, a woman who's exhausted and defeated, a woman who is without hope, a woman who says, the Lord has afflicted me, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me, a woman likely depressed. But boy, does this story, boy, does Ruth too change her disposition Ruth comes back with that great um, doggy bag in verse 18. Um, Just look at the second half of verse 18. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she'd eaten enough. Here is Ruth, who's eaten till she's full. She brings out what's left over, and her mother-in-law asks her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, and that's the Lord, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. You see, here is one who goes from the depths of despair and of depression, who's exhausted and passive and has nothing left. She's empty. And by the end of Ruth chapter 2, as she sees God's kindness... She says, blessed be the Lord. He's not stopped showing his kindness. Now, I'm sure that um, many of us have been in the situation where the ending changes the way that we see the whole journey. But that's what Ruth um, experiences here, is it not? Uh, A few years ago, well, it was about 10 years ago now, I let a friend of mine persuade me to run a marathon. And um, I I have to say, all of the stuff they say about how miserably hard marathons are is true. Uh, Maybe you've experienced that feeling in the last sort of six to 10 miles where your legs just feel like lead. And I can tell you that I was cursing my friend under my breath every step of the last 6.2 miles of that marathon. But I tell you what, when you get to the end and you get given the finisher's medal and and you think to yourself, um, I was a a bit slower than her, but I've just competed in a race with Paula Radcliffe. You You feel totally different about the whole experience. And here is Naomi as she sees the kindness of the Lord and reevaluates her whole experience so far. I'm sure many of us will have had that sort of experience in our Christian lives. Uh, I think of a friend who um, battled and struggled on with depression for many years and couldn't possibly see why the Lord had brought her so low. And yet the ministry that she has to the struggling now, the way that she's able to bring that experience to bear, to support those who are struggling themselves, well, it's just remarkable to see how the Lord was at work in in his kindness, even through that experience of being brought low. But of course, I also know that many of us, um, 
might be in the depths of um, in the depths of despair right now. Uh, and maybe we don't see the end. Maybe we feel that we won't see the end of that. There are many situations where believers go through their whole lives and they can never look back and say, I see what the Lord was doing in that. But we take hope from Ruth chapter 2. Because here is a God of kindness who is working in the details of every individual's life in the story to bring about his purpose for grace, for mercy, for kindness. And it may be that it's not until the day that we see Jesus face to face that we look back and see all that he was doing. But Ruth too reminds us that we will one day be in that situation. And one day, Boaz's greater descendant, the one who came not just to redeem one family in one place, but all of uh, the creation and everyone who trusts him, one day that one, Jesus Christ, will wipe away every tear from our eye. And there'll be no more death and no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. He'll make our frail bodies like his body. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And I take it that um, Ruth 2 points us forward to the fact that on that day, whatever battle you're facing today, however dark things seem to be, that we'll be able to look back and say with Naomi, the Lord bless him, the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Now, I don't know what words you would have used to describe God. I don't know what picture of God is fixed in your mind that you just can't seem to shake. But Ruth, too, says to us that whatever our circumstances, however um, we can't see God working right now, that he's a kind God, a God overflowing with goodness to his people through the redeemer that he has provided, a God worth trusting today, and a God that we can hope in for the day when we look back and we say he'd been showing his kindness to us every day. He'd not stopped showing it. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for all that this true story of your activity in history shows us of your character and your goodness and your grace. We pray that you would indeed help us to see you as you are and to trust you and have hope. In Jesus' name, amen.